everyone. Welcome to HubShots, episode 114, Asia Pacific's number one HubSpot-focused podcast, where we discuss HubSpot tips, tricks, new features, strategies for growing your marketing results. We hope you enjoy the podcast as much as HubSpot CEO Brian Halligan does. Thanks for creating this podcast. It's awesome. I listen to it on the weekends and I really enjoy it. In this episode, we talk about video trends, HubSpot quarantine contacts, understanding empathy and compassion, and creating tasks for HubSpot workflows. My name is Ian Jacob, and with me is my co-founder, Craig Bailey from Zen Systems. How are you, Craig? Really good. You know what? I've been getting back into Facebook groups. Yes, we have. Because I avoid Facebook, I think, as listeners know. I avoid the news feed. And remember when Facebook used to have their groups app? Yes. I used to be in groups a bit more, and then yeah. they took it away, and they just made, they make force you into the app. And so I've neglected not only um, Facebook, but Facebook groups and our HubShots group. Yes. And so we've kind of put a bit more focus back onto it. So, in fact, we've even managed to get the vanity URL for our HubSpot, uh, HubShots <laughs> group. So check it out. Come and join us in our Facebook group. Yeah, and we've got a little challenge for ourselves, Craig. We're mm. going to be in there on a daily basis to talk to people and answer questions and share fun stuff. So I think, yeah, we'd love if you could join us in there if you've got anything to share. We'll experiment in the next couple of weeks and see if we can add value. Exactly. All right, Craig, now there's something coming up called HubSpot User Group in Sydney. And that's going to happen on the 28th of March, which is right at the end of March, just before Easter. So it'll be a nice way to set yourself up for the long weekend. That's right. So keep an eye out for the link where you can book, register and be there. It'll be fun. It's actually at WeWork in Piermont. It is. Yeah, great venue. It's going to be fun. I think we're providing beer and some nibblies. So, yeah, come along and uh, some great sessions are being organised and details on that on on the Sydney HubSpot User Group website. Coming up soon. All right. We're going to talk about our inbound thought of the week, Craig. Yeah. And this is actually a link we shared in our HubShots Facebook group earlier today. Correct. And we spoke about some of this in the last episode. And what we want to talk about here is about global content trends. Now, there's two charts in the show notes. And one is that Facebook is catching up to YouTube as a video platform. So in terms of people consuming video. What was really interesting, like we had some interesting anomalies last time in Latin America seems to really stand out against the rest of the other regions that have been, I guess, surveyed in terms of their percentage of views. They're really embracing video, aren't they? And I think as we said last time that I guess there might be some correlation with the kinds of people that answer a survey like this, but definitely is on the rise and a, a growing trend. Oh, by the way, we should mention where this comes from. The link comes from HubSpot research into content trends. I think the the overall point about Facebook being a video platform is really interesting. We've known that, and I guess they've been talking about that at Inbound the last couple of years. But uh, just how stark the comparison is, Facebook is right up there with YouTube, and we're actually going to look at some YouTube stats later in the show. Yeah, that's right. And another thing that I found really interesting was consumers want entertaining, funny, and informative video content, which is, I guess, not unusual. How do we apply this to business? That's a very good question. Isn't it's it? a good question. It's interesting they categorized out entertaining versus funny. They yeah, didn't just exactly. lump them in together. But yeah, informative and educational <laughs> was still up there. Inspiring, animated was down there, but live was, was right really in the bottom, which and is interesting. It'd be interesting to see if that's still the case in a year's time. Yeah, that's right. So I think things to note from this is obviously think about the purpose of the video when you're doing things and try to give people what they're looking for. So. If your business is not entertaining, don't try and be that. 
but create really good informative and educational videos. And you create a really good educational video about HTTPS, right? Or security. Oh, that was a couple of episodes ago. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. We've got our HubShots video channel. I think listeners know I don't like video, but <laughs> in the kind of talk to camera sense, but I do like it as an instructional format. Yeah. Exactly. And a lot of people go to YouTube to find instructions on how to solve their problems. And I see that happening. I think I did that once when I locked myself in the house. I went to find a video of how do I unlock my door without a key. <laughs> So there you go. All right. right. On to our marketing feature of the week, Craig. And this is to do with the CTA tools. Yeah. So HubSpot has been gradually going through their tool set and just updating the user experience. And so CTAs is another one. It's time has come and it's got a bit of a a refresh. Uh, So nothing really special to talk about in this particular thing from a feature wise, except to highlight that CTAs are really cool. I'd love to know how much love CTAs get from users. You know how HubSpot tracks uh, tool usage. usage. I'd like to know where CTAs sit and in particular CTA groups and smart CTAs, because quite often people that we chat with aren't aware of it and the power of it. Correct. And so I suspect it's one of those underutilized tools. It's a hidden gem. A hidden gem, yes. So have a look at that, but also be on the lookout for the Instagram integration in social. Yes, some of us have it and some of us don't. Yes, and I had a play with it this afternoon. And I thought I had to do something different, but I was pleasantly surprised. So it's been a good experience from that perspective. We might give a walkthrough in a future episode once everyone's got access to that. That's right. All right, Craig, I'm going to talk about a HubSpot gotcha of the week. And this is to do with quarantine contacts. I was working with a customer, loaded a list that wasn't so great into HubSpot, and they tried to email them. And then they had these bunch of contacts that were quarantined. And they then basically had to go through this whole cleanup process and get things unquarantined. And what was interesting was in the process when I started doing that and I randomly looked at contacts, I actually found that there were contacts that were still quarantined. So I actually looked up and went, where is this? And I found a support article which said there should be a smart list with quarantine contacts, which I proceeded and could not find. And then we submitted a support case and we found out, and this is the someone from HubSpot support said, we're moving some things around at the moment and changing a few specific HubSpot generated lists and how they're populated. Sorry for the inconvenience, Craig. You can also view your quarantine contacts by going into contacts tool, adding a filter of email address quarantine equal to true. Now I tried this out and it does work. I still want my list. It's not often that we find a HubSpot knowledge base article is incorrect. That's right. In fact, one of the things that impresses me very much about HubSpot is the quality of their documentation. It's always up to date. Yes. And so this is an anomaly. This is a rare... Maybe this is ahead of its time. (laughs) Maybe. But uh, let's go back a step. What is a quarantined contact? What does that actually mean? A quarantined list, for example, something with a high bounce rate of 15% or higher on emails you've sent through HubSpot. A newly imported contact list may also be quarantined if it detects history of high hard bounce rates for the emails included in that list. So that's how it's collecting it. So just so I understand, a contact is quarantined because they're actually a member of a list that is marked as quarantined, yet there's no list by default of quarantined contacts. that's exactly right. So you've got to create your own because the contact itself is marked as quarantined. Wow, that's confusing. It is. And so it is supposed to be a smart list that's automatically created, which I think must be being rolled out, but isn't working at the moment. But I thought this is rather interesting because especially if you're working with 
data that you're moving that might be old from other systems, be really wary of moving it and checking it it's right. So we know that the data degrades, what, 25% every year? There's normally, yeah, 25 to 30% churn in an email list. Yeah. So we need to be testing and verifying that these things are working. Okay, so, well, let's take that a step further. So how would you test it other than sending an email to them and finding out, oh, no, actually it bounced? Exactly. So there are things that you can use that will verify data. We were using one recently called Clearbit. And you can load a whole bunch of data to verify that it's actually valid. There are individual checkers that we use if we're, if we're concerned about a contact online where it'll actually verify that that is a real address and says, yes, no, I can't tell what it is. So those are the kind of things we do. Yep. Excellent advice. We might go through Clearbit in a future episode. Too. Correct. We're testing it out. So, All right. On to the sales part, Craig. Deal properties and emails. Okay, I'm going to highlight two things here. The first is a long time ago, I upvoted a community request for deal properties in workflows. Currently, that's not the case. Uh, You can't do it yet. So there's still a community item about it. Go and add your support to it. Actually, I was chatting with Charles McKay about this recently because it's such a, it'd be such a handy thing to have a workflow be able to set uh, emails that have deal properties in them. You can do internal notifications, all that kind of thing. But having said deals are lacking in some ways in terms of personalization, HubSpot has been adding some nice additions to deals with respect to workflows. And so we've got an article there about setting custom properties when creating a deal in workflows. And so that's another example, I guess, of how HubSpot is really working its way through to some of the finer points in the whole enterprise side of their sales feature set. So some nice work there. Got links in the show notes to that. Yeah, you can dig into those if you want further details. Excellent. And Craig, now on to our marketing tip of the week. And this is from Rand Fishkin. And it's a video of these. Um... So, you know, we love uh, Ross Hudgens. It's a Siege Media. Yes. And uh, he's been a speaker at Inbound a couple of times. I think he's excellent. I, and I love his work. But anyway, he's got a new kind of show, yep. YouTube show. Right. Where he interviews people. And Rand Fishkin and Will Reynolds were on uh, his first show. He's interviewing them and he basically said, what's one thing you'd do now differently than when, say, you were starting? And he was chatting to Rand first um, Mm. and he said, compared to what Moz has done. And Rand said, I would do one thing extraordinarily well versus trying to do tons of things average. And, of course, that sounds like tried advice, but he actually goes through his thinking through of how Moz, you know, what they used to do. And he even finishes, well, not finishes, but halfway through he's kind of saying, he actually wonders whether he would have changed the name from SEO Moz to Moz. And in hindsight, would he have kept it at SEO Moz and kept the focus just on SEO rather than trying to broadening it out across all content marketing yes. in a way? So a fascinating interview. Uh, some good takeaways there. We've included that. And I guess our marketing tip or just the one little gem to take away is become known for one thing extraordinarily well. I thought it was good advice from Rand. Uh, your mileage may vary. It'd be interesting to see whether people agree or disagree with that, but uh, something to ponder. I think that's excellent. Also, onto our HubSpot sales feature of the week, Craig, and this is creating workflows to assign tasks to a member of your team to action form fields. So this came out of a discussion with one of our customers where they were getting all the form notifications and then, we're going, well, can I reply to that form notification to the customer? And I went, no, you can't, or you shouldn't. I'm sure they did. And then 
work out like what have they done and what they haven't done. So it was like, well, how do I know I've done this? And I think they were losing track because they get lots of inquiries because they've got an app that people use. So people register through an app, people put in warranty claims, they have app support issues and it all goes to one person. So he was kind of getting confused with what was going on. So I said, okay, well, fine, let's take you off all form notifications. And I said, I'll create a workflow to actually assign you the task of what needs to be done. And because you log into HubSpot every morning, you basically go to your task list and you go one by one through that task list and complete the task. If it's a respond about a warranty request, then do that, et cetera. So we set that up. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see, I guess, what's going to happen as this unfolds, but probably cut all those emails in his inbox now. <laughs> I, think, nothing. I think this is such a good solution for him. And a, another perfect example of how HubSpot's uh, CRM or sales yes. provides a lot of functionality. The workflow piece, of course, is on the marketing side. So it's when a Correct. HubSpot form has been submitted and then you're creating a task in the sales side. Exactly. Just for listeners to understand why you said at the start he shouldn't reply to form notifications, do you want to just clarify what a form notification is and why you wouldn't reply to that directly? Exactly. So a form notification is something internal that HubSpot sends to people within the business and actually it has a link to the contact property. So if you reply to that email or you say forward and cut and paste their email onto that, they potentially have the link to their HubSpot contact within that. Plus a bunch of other data that might just not be appropriate to be (laughs) sending them. Oh, by the way, but I've been on the receiving end of that. Maybe not HubSpot internal notifications, but, you know, when you fill out a form on a site, yeah, has all this data about your your browser that you're using, user agent, all of this, and someone replies to that, to you, with all of this data, and you just go, wow, that's a really bad experience. Yeah. Yeah. So I think what, what was really key was that, he had all these emails that he didn't know what to do or that he was getting overwhelmed by them. Putting it all in one place where he can go every day, I think that's going to help him greatly. And also it'll just make life a lot easier for him in the long run. One thing I did notice when I was creating this workflow is there were certain form fields I was trying to put in the notes section. Like I created a custom field about what product they were using. I could not actually get that out into the form, into the as a custom form field where I could actually fill that out. There were only certain tokens that I could actually use. Okay. Which was rather interesting. So it was a little bit frustrating, but on the whole, I got as much information into that as I could. That doesn't make any sense at all. Custom field, they're on the contact record. That's right. I can sense a HubSpot community feature request coming on. (laughs) So anyway, that's what happened. But anyway, I'm pretty happy with the outcome nonetheless. Yeah, that's excellent. Nice one. All right. Opinion of the week, Craig, making compassionate decisions, the role of empathy in decision making. Okay. So this is not so much an opinion of the week as it is just a, here's a wonderful article to read. It's on the Farnham Street blog. Yes. Which we have, um, which we talked about many times. Yeah. Fantastic. If you want to spend time feeding your brain and thinking better, this is a great place to start. In the post, Shane Parrish is um, reviewing a book around Empathy and Decision-Making. It's by Paul Bloom, and the book is called Against Empathy. And why I think this is interesting to think about is because there's been a whole push for empathy lately. Uh, It's kind of, I'm not going to say flavour of the month, but it's, Mm. it's, it's, it's kind of like emotional intelligence was, you know, a big trend, and now empathy seems to be a big trend in corporates. 
And in fact, later in uh, in Opinion of the Week, we just link off to Darmesh's recent blog post where he talks about the HubSpot culture code and how they had a bug in the culture code, as he puts it nicely, uh, where they were favouring effectiveness, and he's actually updated it to empathy as part of their heart, I guess, approach to culture, which is really nice. It's a good post to read. However, I thought that went hand in hand uh, with this post on the Farm Street blog where talks about empathy and the different types of empathy in a way. I might mention like emotional empathy is feeling what others feel, whereas cognitive empathy is understanding what others feel. And then we could say compassion is caring about how others feel. And these are quite different. The reason it's useful to expand on this is because we kind of just lump it all together. Oh, empathy, we've got to have that. Anyway, and this article goes through talking about how empathy can often get in the way of rational decision-making. And that's because we get too caught up in our emotions. And because we can feel and relate to it, we're actually filtered in a way. Because we can relate to it, it means we're actually in a bubble of our own experiences. And so in some ways, we can't see the bigger picture and we can't make rational decisions. Mm. Fascinating to think through, especially in terms of culture and companies and how we make decisions. And so the final outcome tying this back to marketers and how we think is, I've often said on the show, you know, we need to be more empathetic and, and think about how they feel. But I wonder if actually we're then falling prey to our own biases in a way. We're kind of limiting the scope that we could interact with people. So uh, just something to think about. I don't think there's any key takeaway from this, like, oh, I'm going to change this in my marketing tomorrow. But just expand our thinking around it. Yes. And get stuck into the Farnham Street blog. Wonderful reading. And uh, you, it, it just, you can feel yourself getting smarter as you read it. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. On to uh, our video of the week, Craig. And this is a video by Noah Kagan. And it's his 2018 Best Marketing Strategies. And Noah is one of those people, he, he had his podcast, which we've spoken about many times, but this year he's just gone, well, I'm going to focus on YouTube. And that's what he's doing. And so I quite enjoyed this video. It was a bit raw and real. And I want to highlight three things. He said, owning a Facebook group for maximum attention. Wow. It's, which almost, has, it's almost like he listened to the intro to this show. <laughs> <laughs> and then he had another part. He said, what is the next content upgrade? It's actually free software. So I think he's done that with a lot of his products that he's built, called Sumo and a few other things. And uh, exactly what uh, Brian Halligan said in episode 100, talking about the new, exactly. yeah, the new lead generation technique. And the third one which was uh, actually a marketing tool recommendation by our one and only Bodner, the CMO of HubSpot, which I think is he's actually put as the CEO of HubSpot in his uh, notes. <laughs> so have a look. And there, there are two tools there that they talk about, which I was really keen and I've actually been trying out. So have a look at that. And I think you'll find there's a lot of value in that video. So have a watch of it in your spare time. He is good. Yep. Thumbs up from me. All right. On to our resource of the week, Craig. Featured snippets. All right, featured snippets, which we've chatted about on the show before and has been the feature of many HubSpot blog posts previously. Now they've got an entire research piece about it. So not only talking about why you should do it, but actually the experiments that they did and what they did. Fascinating reading and also very practical. You can read this, see their experiments. For example, how they tweaked content so that they would rank as that position zero, that snippet above the first result in Google and the things that they did to just format their blog posts. And in one of their experiments, all they did was format existing content. They made no other changes, no extra content, no 
uh, no meta tags. They just formatted pieces of content in the in their blog post and got great results. And so it's really good. And I think Matt Barbie had a fair bit to do with some of the experiments that they ran. So we've got a link to it. Go and check it out. And it really is, in some cases, just as simple as making sure you've got your heading one, heading two, and your list item tags set in uh, blog posts or pages. Yes. So um, go and get started on that now. I know we've already started going through some pages. Yes. And just reformatting them for um, targeting that kind exactly. of um, result. Yeah. All right. We have another resource, and this is from Think with Google, and it's three takeaways from the new digital content ratings report. And this is done in September 2017. And this ties to YouTube. And what I found really interesting with this one, it said 14.7 million Aussie adults spend an average 20 hours and 44 minutes on YouTube. Per month. Per month. Which is quite... It's almost an hour a day on YouTube. (laughs) Exactly. And what was really interesting is the... The reach, for example, the largest reach that they had was in the 18 to 39-year-olds, which is really close behind. It was the 25 to 54-year-olds. And in these two age groups, the average was 25 hours and 27 minutes for the first and 25 hours and six minutes for the second, which is, again, high. So this is the average, don't forget. There are probably people watching this maybe 50, 75, 100 hours a week. Yeah, like your kids, right? Yeah. No. (laughs) Oh, you've got them, you've got uh, guidelines there. I, I do have guidelines, Someone, but someone's got to make up for the lack of video that I don't watch. Yeah, right. Exactly. But what's interesting is that you watch behavior, and I watch their behavior. I watch people's behavior when watching YouTube. It is a vortex, isn't it? It is a time suck. It's I a do, time I, suck. I do, yeah. and the reason I uh, yeah I won't go into the reason I don't go into YouTube is the same with Facebook. It just sucks me in. I can't escape. Exactly. And then what I also found interesting in this study was that the split between male and female in terms of watching was almost pretty even, Yeah, which is very interesting. The next thing that didn't surprise me was that 67 of people watch it on their smartphone and tablets. Yeah. So that did surprise me. Yes. That it was so high. I actually thought more people would be watching it, you know, because there's apps on Correct. Apple TV now. And uh, I've got friends that just, that's all they watch, YouTube, and they project it and, yeah, on their TV. So, yeah. So, yeah. So, there's some really interesting stats around this. And I think if you're going to do video, now's your time. You know, I'd love to know the correlation between YouTube video watching on your mobile and public transport. Because often on the bus, you see everyone just watching YouTube, right? Exactly. But... I don't know. Is that where the majority of it happens? I'd love to know the the, the public transport skew of YouTube yes. <laughs> viewing. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. And I think depending on what they're looking at or where they are, they have these what Google always calls micro moments of time where people are, decide that they want to watch a recipe or they want to find out how to do something. And that's what they're doing. So I guess it comes down to understanding your audience, how long videos are, what value they're providing and what time of... You know the key takeaway of this for me? I just don't know what I'm talking about with video. I've really got to find out more and research more. Yes. I've got to get up to speed. I think it's all of us. Well, yeah, hopefully there are other listeners going, yeah, that's me too. So, yeah. Exactly. We've got work to do, folks. Get in the game. All right, Craig, our quote of the week, and this is from Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, and he says, our whole role in life is to give you something you didn't know you wanted. And then once you get it, you can't imagine your life without it. And you can count on Apple doing that. 
Is there any comment you want to make, Craig? I'm going to say that could apply to bad things as well. It could, it could. It could apply to bank fees, right? <laughs> uh, give you something you didn't know you wanted. I'll give you something you didn't know you wanted. No bank fees. And then, yeah. But no, it is a good point about giving people what they want. They don't even know they want it. And I think there's, I think there's things we can take away from marketing there, obviously, about yes. how we approach the, exactly. the, the creative side of things. Yes. There are some things to investigate. There's some bonus links of the week. Have a look at that. We would love if you could leave us a review on iTunes. You know, there's one bonus link there. It's called How Much Should I Spend? It's a little calculator on how much you should spend on marketing. Go and check it out. That's right. Go check it out. You're welcome, Justin. (laughs) (laughs) So we'd love you to leave us a review on iTunes. Any feedback, we would love to hear it. And everybody, we'll see you in the Facebook group. And until next time, Craig. Catch you later, Ian. Thank you for listening to this episode of HubShots. For show notes, resources, HubSpot news, including practical strategies you can implement, visit us at hubshots.com.